0: listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, February the 5th in the year of our Lord 2024. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is our custom on Mondays, we like to take a look at the readings for the following Sunday, which is a special Sunday. It's the Transfiguration of our Lord on February the 11th in the year 2024. It is the end of the epiphany season, So beginning next week, we begin with Lent. The readings for the Transfiguration, Second Kings chapter two, and that's about Elijah being taken up into heaven with chariots of fire and horses of fire. Separating him from Elisha, who then continued his ministry. The gospel is from Mark 9, and this is actually about Jesus and seven individuals on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he was brightly colored in his clothes and foreshadowed his coming on the last day. Seven individuals. There were, first of all, three apostles, Peter, James, and John. Then there was Jesus. Then there was Elijah. Then there was Moses. And finally, the Father. God the Father. And that is a well-known item. So we're going to be looking at today the epistle from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. This is the epistle for Transfiguration Sunday. And there's a beautiful collect of the day. Colic means a short summary of the theme of the day. Uh, Listen to it. O God, in the glorious transfiguration of your beloved Son, you confirmed the mysteries of the faith by the testimony of Moses and Elijah. In the voice that came from the bright cloud, you wonderfully foreshowed our adoption by grace. Mercifully make us co-heirs with the King in his glory and bring us to the fullness of our inheritance in heaven. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, because of what I know about KFUO, there will be a number of programs today, I'm sure, talking about the transfiguration, and that is from Mark chapter 9. So I want to do 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which talks about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses. What? We aren't bold like Moses? You see, I thought Moses was a wonderful prophet of God. Should we be like him? Here again, we seem to have a contradiction in Lutheran theology. We're not to be bold like Moses, or we're supposed to be more bold than Moses. How is Moses not bold, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13? Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. see, this is why you need a trained pastor in helping you to understand the English. What is this outcome that was being brought to an end? Well, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face was shining because of his presence with God the Father on Mount Sinai. But as time went by, that shining was diminished. And so Moses decided to put a veil over his face in order that the israelites might still consider him to be in oneness with god the father we don't need to do that because we have been given the gift of the holy spirit at our baptism or by hearing the gospel in the wonderful promises of the bible Therefore, Paul continues writing to the Corinthians in verse 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, what ministry is he talking about? Moses had the ministry of the law, but we also had the ministry of the gospel. Not that Moses did not speak the ministry of the gospel because he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And in Genesis 3.15, there is that wonderful promise that God makes that through Eve will come a savior. Of course, it took hundreds of years For the Savior to come through the Virgin Mary, but that was the incarnation of Jesus Christ as a human being. And the reason he did that was to do the ministry assigned to him from many books in the Old Testament, including Isaiah or Daniel, where he was told to come to the world to redeem the world's people. That means to buy them out of the slavery of Satan and be one with them. And that's what he did by the ministry of the cross. Now, we're part of that ministry of the mercy of God. Remember what the mercy of God means. When God is merciful to you, it means he will not hold you accountable for your sins. You don't get the punishment you deserve. He instead is gracious towards you and gives you that which you do not deserve, namely the forgiveness of sins. You don't merit the forgiveness of sins. You inherit. And verse 2 describes then the difference in the Christian's life from the life of those who remain in the world. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What does that mean? It means that as a Christian, motivated by the Holy Spirit, we will not use sinful ways, disgraceful ways to live our life. We will repent of them. We will refuse to practice them or to tamper with God's word. Unfortunately, there's a lot of tampering with God's word today from the point of view of the world. They deny The creation accounts of the Old Testament, the crossing of the Red Sea, and the many miracles that are found by Jesus in the Old Testament, including the message of Moses to the people of God and the prophets, especially Isaiah, where he reveals to us that in the coming of the Messiah, our sins will be laid upon him. And therefore, we stand by the open statement of the truth. What truth? Well, as we've said many times, one of the most important books to purchase in the study of a Bible, is a concordance. That way you can look up every word in the Bible and see what it means with other verses. So if you look up the word truth, here's the passage you will find. I am the way and the truth and the life. Who says that? That's Jesus. Jesus is truth. It is not easy to understand that truth. We've been taking a look and have finished our study on the book of Proverbs. But I challenge you to tell another person to open up any chapter in Proverbs, read any of its, say, 10 verses of a chapter, And they will not understand at least half of them. Because it takes a knowledge of the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the occasional Greek, and the culture of that day in order to understand the book of Proverbs, which is the wisdom of Jesus Christ given through Solomon to his sons and also the elders of Hezekiah. I still like that last chapter in Proverbs that talks about the woman of God, the woman who follows the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So, 2 Corinthians says we talk the truth. Now, you're a layman, a lot of you. How do you know what the truth is? Well, it's best summarized by Luther's small catechism and his large catechism. Help your children to learn the small catechism by memory and you will help them to understand the purpose of the commandments and the creed and the Lord's Prayer, baptism, the Holy Sacrament of the altar, and discipline. So we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, meaning that we are going to be telling them the truth. Verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. Now see, we get back to Moses he put the veil over the brightness of his face because it was diminishing. And he did not want the people to know that. But our gospel is not veiled except to those who don't believe it. They interpret it in a way that it's veiled to those who are perishing. Perishing. Now, how did that happen? Well, it says, and verse 4 can really be confusing. In their case, the ones who are perishing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Now, some people may think when they read that passage, Who is the God of this world? Isn't it God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Well, one can say that he is definitely the God who created the universe and this earth. But the word world here is referring to the evil part of creation. And who is the God of this evil part of creation? It is Satan himself. Satan, Beelzebub, Lucifer, however you want to call him, with his many demons, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the what? Of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That really becomes clear in John chapter 9. Remember, that's that tremendous chapter where Jesus confronts a man born blind since birth, and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He puts mud on his eyes, and the man goes, washes, and he sees. Then he comes to know that Jesus is the one who healed him, and he proclaims the truth, which means that the unbelieving Pharisees, they remove him from the synagogue. That's why his parents did not want to make it clear that they knew him to be their son because they were afraid of being excommunicated, so to speak, from the synagogue. But therefore, It was a good example how the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers because the Pharisees then asked Jesus after he had healed the blind man, they asked him, are we blind also? And remember what Jesus said? He said, because you say we can see, you are blind. Because you do not see the gospel, but you see your own notions. You see your own doctrines, which you have made up. And of course, the greatest doctrine that Judaism had made up was that they were saved by their works, and therefore they thanked. God, that they weren't tax collectors or prostitutes who never could be saved, but they were good people. They were blinded by Satan to believe that. So he kept them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They didn't realize that Christ was in the image of God, which means he had all power. He was everywhere. He had all knowledge. So what does Paul say that we are proclaiming? What we proclaim, this is verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 3, what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, that's really important. We don't give the impression that anybody is saved by us. We are servants or slaves to other people because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. We are willing to love them. And we therefore love them even as they are sinners because that's what Jesus did for us. He loved us when we were terrible sinners And he moved us to love him by announcing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we heard that our sins were forgiven, then we recognized how far God went in loving us, in sacrificing his very son for our sins. That's how we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ and ourselves as your slaves for his sake. And then Paul reminds us what God said, let light shine out of darkness. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are many metaphors in talking about Jesus Christ. He is referred to as the morning star. He's referred to as the sun, S-U-N. He's referred to as the light that has come into the world. You see, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the light has shined upon you you who are in the darkness of unbelief because every person is born with original sin. That's why Proverbs and Solomon spends uh, so much time in talking to his son about the ways of the Holy Spirit to move him out of original sin and be motivated, by proper good works that God desires us to do, which gives him the glory. So Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4, verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It reminds us of going back to David's Psalms. What does he pray for? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, every believer has two hearts. The one heart is the sinful heart. And that is now replaced by the Holy Spirit with the sinless heart. In fact, you know what you are as a Christian according to your sinless heart? You are returned to the experience of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden prior to their fall into sin when they had no sin. That's how God regards you as sinless because your sin has been forgiven. That's the message of the truth of Jesus Christ the message of the truth of the gospel. The word gospel means good news, and it is good news to those who are caught in sin, that that sin has been forgiven because it has been paid for. You have been redeemed through faith in the Holy Spirit and receiving that gift, the greatest gift of the forgiveness of sins. That's a new heart that has the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as you worship Jesus, You are worshiping his face. And therefore, that's the vision that should be on your mind. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's Law and Gospel. When we look at the hymn, O Wondrous Tight, O Vision Fair. I'm Tom Baker. We'll do that with Mark Smith and help you to understand even more law and gospel until tomorrow god bless you listen to law and gospel each weekday morning at 9:30 on kfuo for a tax deductible gift to law and gospel please make your check out to law and gospel and mail to law and gospel po box 28910 st louis missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.